Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. If you have your Bibles, let's go to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. We're in the second week of our series, Chasing the Wind. We're walking through this Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes, which can be quite depressing, just fair warning. We're going to try to make it fun, but it can be a real downer. We'll see what we can do with that, all right? While you're turning to Ecclesiastes 2, I wanted to um, just mention kind of a heads up in about a week and a half. We are having our Ash Wednesday service here um, at the Vista on, I believe it's the 22nd is the date, um, at six o'clock. And a lot of times there's some confusion over Ash Wednesday when, you know, Christians put ashes on their forehead. Like, what's all that about? Or is that a, isn't that a Catholic thing? And we always just try to remind you that, that no, it's really not a Catholic thing. It's a, it's a church, a Christian church thing. And it sort of is the official kickoff to the Easter season. Um, you know, Easter is, a, it's kind of a big deal, right? Like Easter's, Easter is the most important and significant holiday. It's the uh, commemorating the most important and significant event in all of human history. Our entire faith uh, hinges on this event where Jesus, who died on a cross, gets up and, and leaves the grave and is very much alive. And so this is a, a really big deal. But if, if we're not careful as Christians, it can just become, um, man, just a, a weekend, you know, uh, a blip on the radar, if you will. And we want to more fully live into the Easter season and all that it means. And so um, it helps as, as we get ready for Easter if we sort of prepare ourselves, our lives, our hearts for Easter. And before we can really um, understand and celebrate resurrection and what Christ's resurrection means for us in our own lives, we want to start with remembering our own frailty, our own mortality, our own depravity. And so in a lot of ways, that is what Ash Wednesday is all about. And of course, if you're at that service, you'll hear even more about, about it. But we'd love to have you and your family join us for Ash Wednesday, again, about a week and a half, not this coming Wednesday, but the following. Um, and, and we'll have that six o'clock and, and we'd love to have you, love to have you join us for Ash Wednesday services, all right? Ecclesiastes 2, so last week we, we jumped into this little Old Testament book. We were introduced to um, Solomon. So Solomon is either the author, um, and then he, uh, it's compiled after his death. And so there was probably some, some edits, maybe some revisions uh, when they began to put the works together. Or it's written by someone other than Solomon, but they're clearly sort of taking on Solomon's persona. They are, um, they're identifying as Solomon so that it would be more widely circulated and read. And they clearly, the author wants us to learn lessons from the life of, of Solomon. And so last week we spent some time just getting to know this man a little bit. He was the king uh, over Israel. He was... Um, he was the king. His father was David. David, of course, was probably the most popular and prominent king in the Old Testament. Uh, Solomon was David's son. His mom was Bathsheba. Uh, on David's deathbed, he appoints Solomon to be, to be the king. And, uh, and Solomon is, is ruling at a time of a lot of prosperity. Uh, the borders of the kingdom are, are bigger than they have ever been. Uh, he has really unmatched power, authority, control, wealth, all of it. And Ecclesiastes is essentially about Solomon, um, who is using all of his power and all of his authority and all of his riches and wealth and everything at his disposal, and he's trying to search for the meaning and the purpose in life. And we saw last week that, you know, he does some things, and at the end of everything, he's like, man, this is it's just meaningless. It's all pointless. The, the word vanity is used 38 times in this particular book. Um, and so Solomon's basically leaving no stone unturned in his pursuit of, of meaning and purpose, joy in life, all right? So we'll continue our, uh, 
our walk through here in the first part of, of chapter two, you're going to see the same thing that, that he's going to kind of go through a list of things that he pursued or that he chased after in hopes that they would bring him some joy and fulfillment. And I would challenge you as we look at this particular section to just think, man, is, is, that, is that indicative of me? Are those things that I also tend to chase after and tend to pursue? Are those things that I sort of identify with or even struggle with at times? Um, and so hopefully we can, we can learn some lessons from, from our boy Solomon here, okay? So here's the way it starts, Ecclesiastes 2. He says, I said in my heart, come now and I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this was also vanity. And I said of laughter, it is mad. And of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom and how to lay hold of, on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. So the first thing Solomon's sort of pursuing here is he's like, look, just have fun in life, man. You know, he talks about cheering my heart with wine, which means he was probably getting a little tipsy or maybe a lot tipsy. I don't know. But he's like, man, what we know about Solomon as we read Kings is that Solomon, at one point, he really, man, he threw some massive, epic parties. I mean, like bigger than any party you and I have probably ever been to in our life. All right. Solomon, Solomon knew how to throw quite the party. In fact, you don't have to turn there, but I'll read just a, a couple of verses over in 1 Kings chapter 4. It tells us what one day's provisions for, for a particular gathering that Solomon was going to have, what one day's provisions would have entailed. Listen to this. Uh, 1 Kings 4 verse 22. Solomon's provisions for one day was 30 cores, cor, so that's 20, 200, 220 liters. It's an instrument of measurement there. Not Coors Light, I don't think they had that back then. Um, so, so 30 cores of fine flour, 60 cores of meal, 10 fat oxen, 20 pasture-fed cattle, 100 sheep besides the deer, the gazelles, the roebuck, the fattened fowl. I mean, we could go on and on and on. But basically, as you add that up, what you'll find is that that was the amount of provision that that could feed like 20 to 25,000 people. That's a pretty massive party, isn't it? I mean, that is a huge gathering right there. I mean, you're, you're killing all those cattle and that's some nice steak. And that is, I mean, some fine wine was flowing. And so the first thing Solomon's kind of saying here is like, man, I thought maybe if I could just, if I could just throw some big parties and gatherings and just have a lot of fun, man, just enjoy life and pursue fun. And I and mean, some of you may be wired like that. You're like, man, I just want to have fun. Forget everything else. I just want to have fun. I want to live it up, man. I want to experience life. And so, and this is the first thing Solomon tries. I'm going to try just inviting all my friends and even they can bring friends and their friends can bring friends and we're going to have a massive party and I'm going to provide the best food and the best drink and we're going to live it up. It's the first thing that he, that he tries to do. Well, what does, he, uh, what does he turn to next? Well, verse four. Then he says, I made great works. I built houses and I planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks. I, I planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. Then he says, I made pools from which to water the forest um, of growing trees. And so the next thing Solomon does is he tries to kind of bury himself, pour himself into work and projects. All right. Some of you may be wired like this. You're like, man, I'm just going to workaholic, man. I'm going to bury myself in work. I'm going to work hard sun up to sundown and take on all these projects. I'm 
Because again, if we can work really hard, it shows that we're really important, right? And so Solomon tries, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work hard. And, and we know again that Solomon, man, he took on some massive building projects. His own house took 14 years to build. 14 years, and he used the, the finest material. I mean, it was a, let's just say it was a custom job, right? Like it, it wasn't no cookie cutter starter home, right? 14 years to build the finest materials around. We also know that in addition to his own house, he built his wives, and we'll get to that in a minute, wives, plural, also massive mansions, okay? I mean, they, they wanted the finest of everything. And so he's like, okay, let's do it. And he, he also then, he built like these gardens and parks. And I'm not talking like, you know, a little, little flower garden that he worked in on the weekend. I'm talking massive gardens and parks, like think state parks, national parks, planting forests, big pools and fountains to water everything. I mean, he, again, left no stone unturned, used all of his resources and poured himself fully into work and projects. Some of you may be, may be wired like that, man. You're like, work, man, if I, can, if I can just work really hard, if I can work, re- that's, where, that's where I'll find meaning and purpose and fulfillment is in, is in my work. Solomon tried that. Solomon tried that. What does he go to next? Look at verse seven. Then he says, I bought male and female slaves and I had slaves who were born in my house. And I had uh, also great possessions of herds and flocks more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. So (laughs) I love this. So he tries work and working hard and burying himself in work. And then it's almost like he he swings hard the other way. And he's like, I'm just going to get some slaves and servants to do everything for me. Like, I'm not going to lift a finger. He tries laziness, right? You know what? Like, he's like a teenage boy. He sleeps till the crack of noon. He probably showed up late to the third service every week. Like, he, he just decided, you know what? Maybe work's not where it's at. I'm just going to, I'm going to relax. I'm going to have everybody do everything for me. Some of you are like, yeah, sign me up. That sounds like vacation right there. I need, bring me my drink, bring me my food. Can you cut my steak for me? Like, that's what Solomon tries next. It's, it's work hard, bury myself in work, and then it's, and I'm just going to hire a bunch of servants to do everything for me so I don't have to lift a finger. Maybe, maybe there's joy, meaning, purpose, fulfillment in, in that, right? Let's go to next. In verse 8, then he says, I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. He says, I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the children of man. So here in this verse, he mentions materialism. So I thought, man, maybe I could find meaning, purpose, and fulfillment if I could just shop till I drop, right? Like if I could just accumulate everything I can, um, go on these lavish, like spending expenditures, I'm gonna get a lot of stuff. And again, we know he had crazy amounts of gold, silver, jewels. I mean, And again, some of you may be like, yes, I would be happy if I had an unlimited credit card and could just shop constantly. That's like, some of you are like, that sounds like heaven to me, right? I don't know if there's going to be shopping malls in heaven or not. I have no idea. But this is what Solomon tried. He's like, materialism. I'm just going to get a bunch of stuff. I want to, more than the kings before me. Again, he had so much wealth, so much wealth. Then he tries um, entertainment. You notice that? He's like, I'm going to hire singers. He had the, the best performers in the land. Just come over to his place, right? Just entertain me. Again, sounds kind of fun, right? Like some of you are going, man, that's, I'd love to go to concerts and ball games. And if I could just be entertained for the rest of my life, if I could just have the best entertainment, man, that sounds like an awesome life right there. Solomon pursues it, entertainment. 
Then it mentions his concubines. We talked last week about his wives. The Bible says in in Kings, 700 wives, 300 concubines. Can I just say, that is a lot of sex with a lot of different women, right? That's what that is. That is just pleasure. That is just him seeking after, pursuing pleasure uh, at all costs, right? And again, we, we read this, and I'm just trying to, I think if we're honest with ourselves, in, in his listing of things, a lot of times we can find, yeah, that, that's, that's something that I try to pursue. That's something that I, like a lot of us do, we kind of think, man, if I could just experience this, if I could just have this thing, then I would be uh, fulfilled and I'd be happy and I would have joy. And I said it last week, like Solomon, not only did he pursue all of this stuff, he attained it. He attained it. I mean, again, Hugh Hefner had nothing on our boy Solomon, man. Like he, he was... That's a, lot of, that's, a, that's a lot of the pursuit of pleasure for Solomon, right? What does he do next, okay, after all of that? Verse 9, so then I became great and I surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. And also my wisdom remained with me and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. He's like, anything I saw, I wanted it, I got it. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart was... Um, for my heart found pleasure in my toil and it was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it and behold, all was vanity and striving after the wind and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So the next things he's like, you know what, if I, he would just say, I want to be more powerful than all the kings before me. Power, authority, control. I'm going to pursue that. Some of you, again, may be wired that way. If I could just climb the ladder, if I could become the boss, if I could become, if I could have more power and more control and more authority, then I'll be happy, right? Others are popularity. Man, if I could just be really popular, if I could have more followers on Instagram and, and, and all my social media, if I could be like an influencer and everyone really liked me and, you know, sought out my opinion on it, I mean, then I would be really, man, I would feel fulfilled. And again, seeing after thing after thing, um, I just want you to see that, again, we, we pursue a lot of this stuff in life, but Solomon actually did it, and he attained it, and he is at the end of all of it going, hey, guys, I'm telling you, even if you get it, it's not going to make you happy. It's not going to bring fulfillment. It's not going to bring satisfaction. It will not bring joy. Here's the big idea from this first section of Ecclesiastes. We mentioned this last week, but the big idea of, of all this stuff that Solomon went through is this, that life is full of temporary, fleeting pleasures that will not satisfy. That's what Solomon came to realize. Life is full of temporary fleeting pleasures that will not satisfy. And so he even says like, look, man, I enjoyed my work for a little while, then it got boring. I enjoyed the party scene and having fun, but then after a while it was like, eh, kind of got bored with it. You know, everything he pursued was great for a little while, it was fleeting, and then he just got bored of it and tired of it and found it to be empty, meaningless, and pointless. And I'm telling you, in a lot of ways, we as a people are pursuing the same things that Solomon did with the same result. America is the, the richest, most powerful, successful, affluent nation that the world has ever seen. We're also the most bored and depressed and anxious people. The average American has somewhere around $10,000 just on their credit card. That doesn't count all the other debt that we amass via homes and cars and everything else. So basically, we, we buy things that we, we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we really may not even like, right? In, in all in an effort to like 
keep up with the Joneses and look really important. We work more hours than any nation on earth, and what we have to show for it is, again, more stress and more anxiety in life by and large. This one struck me this week that the average parent spends multiple hours a week shopping. Uh, One thing that I read said that the average adult um, sometimes can spend anywhere from five to six hours a week shopping. That doesn't necessarily always mean in the store. Maybe it's just, you know, perusing our phones, shopping, but they only spend about 30 minutes a week actually playing with their own children. In addition, we spend, uh, as a country, uh, $30 billion, with a B, 30, between 30 and $40 billion a year on, in the adult entertainment industry. And so, listen, in a lot of ways, people are on the same search for fulfillment and meaning and purpose and joy that Solomon was on. Same things he was pursuing, the same things that we tend to pursue. And so... Life is full of temporary fleeting pleasures that will not satisfy. And the sooner that we realize that, the better, the better. We'll jump down to the next section just for the sake of time. Um, Look down with me in verse 18. Here's kind of the um, the next thing that Solomon is sort of wrestling with and coming to a realization of. He says that, um, I hated all of my toil, all of my work in which I toiled under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. He says, uh, and who knows whether he'll be wise or a fool, and yet he'll be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This is also vanity. He said, so I I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This is also vanity. So Solomon's at a place where he's thinking about all of his work and all of his projects and all of his accumulation and everything he's been striving for. And he's like an old man, like laying awake at night, thinking about work, thinking about all that he's done. And here's what he realizes. I'm going to die and I'm going to have to leave all this stuff that I've worked for and use my wisdom and attaining and my power and my, all of it, I'm going to have to leave it to somebody who comes after me and who knows what they're going to do with it all, right? Who knows what they're going to do with it? Like, how many of you have ever gotten an inheritance? You've received some stuff passed down to you from family members maybe, right? And, and what did you do with all that stuff? You might have had a garage sale. You might have sold some of it on eBay, you might have given some of it away. You might still have some of it. That, what are you going to do with it? You're going to pass it down to somebody else, to your kids maybe, and who knows what they're going to do. They're going to go through the same thing. What do I want? What do I not want? Like Solomon's realizing this. He's like, man, I've worked really hard and lived this full life and done all this stuff and accomplished all these things. And guess what? Man, my, my boys after me, they might be foolish. Like they're just going to waste it all. And by the way, history shows us that after Solomon, the kingdom pretty much falls apart. It bears it out. He had he accomplishes, and when his sons take over, gone. So he's coming to this realization that this is the way it's going to be for all of us, right? And I think, again, a lesson for us. Listen, the big idea of this section is this, that everything you work to build or accumulate is going to be handed to someone else to do with what they want. I'm always reminded when I, when I think about this, like, of things that have been given to, to my wife and I. So 
when we got married um, almost 23 years ago, my grandmother gave us some fine china that had been in, that's been in the family for a long time. It was, it was her, uh, her mom's, so my great-grandmother, and it's apparently really nice stuff. It's like got gold, it's like um, gold outlined, and it's apparently really fancy stuff. Um, for 23 years now, it has been in a box in a storage room at our house. We don't ever use it. It never comes out of the box. Part of the reason that my wife is like, you can't put that stuff in the dishwasher, so I'm not using it, right? Like it's, it's, just, it's just reality, right? So what are we gonna do with it? It's probably gonna sit in the box until one day we pass it down to, you know, I don't know, one of our kids and we're like, hey, you do what you want with it, which is probably gonna be keep it in a box in one of their stores. Like this is what happens, right? I, I mentioned in the first service, like my grandparents, my, my last living grand, grandmother died uh, about a year and a half ago. And uh, her and my grandfather, all of the years of their lives and marriage, they collected salt and pepper shakers. <laughs> I mean, they had a wall. You walked into their house, there was a wall, a display, a whole wall of hundreds of salt and pepper shakers they had collected from every state they had been to, every country they had been to. Some of them were really, you know, interesting to say the least. Like they're, they're just salt and pepper shakers everywhere. So when she passes away and we're all going through her stuff, we're like, what are we going to do with hundreds of salt and pepper shakers? Like, you know, y'all want some? My sister takes some. My brother takes some. My parents are like, I guess we'll, we'll sell some. We'll get, see if they're them or worth anything. Like, at the end of the day, it's now, it's, it's, just, it's just gone. It's just gone, right? And so here's the thing. Like, it's not, listen, it's not wrong to collect stuff. Sometimes that's kind of fun, and you do have something you want to pass down. And, you know, it's, that's fine, but it's, it's really important that as we think about our pursuits in life to realize what Solomon realized is like, man, you're going to pursue this stuff and climb the ladder and make the money and accumulate your whole life, but at the end of the day, it ain't going with you, and you're going to leave it with somebody, and who knows what they're going to do with it, right? Who knows what they're going to do with it? So Solomon's coming to this realization, and it's actually quite depressing for him. It's quite depressing. Here's where I want to end. I love the way that Solomon kind of wraps this up. Verse, I'm going to read verses 24 and 25 because he does come to a realization that I think is really important for us to realize. Here's what he says in verse 24. He says, There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. He says, This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can even have enjoyment? So Solomon comes to a really good realization here that, man, that God gives really good gifts, right? Like God is a good God who gives really good gifts and that the things of God, the gifts of God, man, they are to be enjoyed, okay? They are to be enjoyed. That's kind of the big idea here. Uh, number, Number three that I wrote down is that the gifts of God are good and enjoyable, but they were never intended to bring ultimate joy and satisfaction. And the gifts of God are good and enjoyable, but they were never intended to bring ultimate joy and satisfaction, Right? Um, and this is a realization that it's important that we understand because I know in the church I grew up in, and I, again, I, I've grew up in a little bit more of like a fundamentalist, very traditional church, but what tends to happen sometimes is um, we're taught that because these things don't bring ultimate joy and fulfillment, we're often taught that they're bad, they're evil, they're wicked, they're wrong, you should have no part in them, right? So the things, the good gifts of God, sometimes we're told, that stuff's bad, that stuff's bad. And what the text is saying is like, no, those things aren't bad. Like God gives good gifts for us to enjoy. In other words, God is not some cosmic killjoy that doesn't want you to have any fun in life or experience any pleasure in life. Okay, that's not God. That's not the God of the Bible. Like God's the author of pleasure. God is the author of joy. 
God is the author of satisfaction. I'm always reminded, God put Adam and Eve in a beautiful garden with plenty of food, naked. And then he said, be fruitful and multiply, which is Old Testament language for have sex, right? I mean, again, God didn't say, like, sex is not this thing that, like, Satan threw in when God wasn't looking on the ninth day. And he was like, and God turns around and he's like, what, what are they doing? Like, oh my gosh. Like, God is the author of this stuff. God's the creator and the author to be practiced in certain context for our joy, for our pleasure, right? And so it's, it's really, man, it, it does some really awful things whenever we start to treat God's good gifts like they are the problem rather than what's in our own heart. In our own heart is the problem, right? God gives good gift of food, but man, it can also be sinful and gluttonous. And God gives good wine, good drink, but it can also lead to drunkenness. And God gives, you know, sex, but it can also lead to perversion. God gives good things, but if we overindulge because of our lack of self-control, that's the problem. It's like within us, but the problem is we look at God's good gifts and when they don't satisfy, we treat them like they're the problem rather than looking in our own heart. And so, listen, I love Ecclesiastes because Solomon chased all this stuff and found it meaningless, but he also is able to recognize like, And God gives really good gifts, and we should enjoy God's good gifts in the proper context, in the proper way. I'm reminded of something Psalm Psalm, uh, 1611 says. Psalm 1611 says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And God is the author of this stuff. God's not doesn't want you to have no fun and man but but here's the problem and again I'll, I'll wrap up and I'll end with this the problem is we often settle for God's gifts rather than letting those things sort of turn our attention affection devotion and worship to the giver right we often let those things kind of be an end and of in and of themselves and you see the problem with that right like again if, if I think God's good gifts are to be an end in themselves and they're to meet all of my needs and all of my desires, then what happens is when they don't, I'm mad at them. And so like my wife, who I believe is a good gift from God, if I treat my wife as if, as if she should meet every desire of my heart and I act like God's good gift uh, to me of her is, is that she should fulfill my every desire and longing and complete me, then what happens is when she doesn't, I'm mad at her, Right? I'm upset with her when God never intended her to do that for me. God intended for me to look at the good gifts that he gives me and allow that to drive me to deeper places of worship of him and gratitude to him. And you're setting your spouse or other things in this life up for failure when you expect them to to be something God never wanted or intended for them to be. And so I'll I'll end with this. Romans chapter 1, Paul reminds us in Romans 1, of of sort of something we are all prone to do. And we've got to be on guard with it. In Romans 1, Paul is talking about the human condition, the condition of, of our sinful hearts. And here's what he says, beginning in verse 21. He says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity and to, dis, um, to, dis, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because, listen to this, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshiped and served the creature, creation, 
rather than the creator who is forever blessed. Amen. So here's the thing. Paul's going, here's the problem. We exchange ultimate joy and satisfaction in life. We exchange that, the, cre- the creator, for the temporal, for, for creation. We are all prone to sort of chase after and worship the gift more than the giver. That's what Paul just said. And so, man, the last, the last sort of thing I just want to leave us with is this, that we often settle for fleeting pleasures when infinite joy is available to us, right? How often in life do we settle for temporal, fleeting pleasures when, when infinite joy is available to us? Because what happens is we begin to worship and chase after the gift rather than the giver. And so my hope and my prayer for us as a church, as a people, is that we would be aware of it, that we would learn the lessons from our boy Solomon who chased after everything, all of the gifts. He chased after those as if they were an end in themselves. And my hope and my heart is that we would see God's good gifts and enjoy God's good gifts in life. Be grateful though that those things would drive us to be grateful to him and to give our worship and our attention and our focus to the creator rather than the creation, right? Let's pray. Father, thank you for... um, your good gifts to us. You are an unbelievably good God. And even in the, even in the tough seasons of life, and I know there are some in here today that are going through some difficult, difficult things, that life can be really just excruciatingly hard and painful sometimes. And so, but God, help us to just acknowledge and see um, that your goodness really is all around. And I know that I sometimes have a hard time or I take a lot of things just for granted in my own life. And so, God, we just ask today for your grace and your mercy to help us recognize your good gifts. Help us to enjoy your good gifts in the context in which they should be enjoyed and in the context in which you have created us to enjoy them. But God, I pray that we uh, would learn some lessons from Solomon, that we would not chase after those things as if they are an end in themselves. But God, we would allow your good gifts in our lives to drive us to places of gratitude, and worship of our creator. That we would not exchange, God, creation for the creator. So just just help us to do that, Lord. Help us to keep our focus, our attention, our affection, our worship on you today and be grateful for the things that you give us. And pray this today in Jesus' name, amen.